hey, about 10 years ago, maybe 11 or 12, I'm not even sure, um, we had Mark Cadle come. He was the director of World Relief Spokane at that point. He shared in our, in our uh, church service about Racing for the Cure. Uh, it was an opportunity for people to partner with them for the Bloomsday Race, to buy t-shirts, and to support refugees. Um, I told him after the service, I said, hey, we, we will buy 100 shirts. And that was the beginning of a very long, now 10 or 12 years, and very fruitful partnership and ministry. Um, we have done so much with World Relief over the last 10 to 12 years, and Chris is going to share some of those things. Uh, I'm thankful to be able to be in partnership with, with them, uh, helping serve those that God has called us to serve. Um, Mark Finney, who is now the director of World Relief, is going to be sharing this morning from God's Word. Uh, he also pastors Emmaus Church in the Perry District. Uh, he's a friend of mine. And I am excited to both listen when I get home and to have you guys uh, get to hear from him as to what God's laying on his heart. Um, he's going to be talking about worship and justice as we start a two-week series on, on worship. Um, so enjoy. Christy, why don't you come on up and uh, tell us a little bit more about our partnership with World Relief. Well, thank you, James. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if any of you realize he raced yesterday, and he did phenomenal. It was his first race in three years, and he did a fantastic job. Um, we were singing that last song, and the words, whom you love, I'll love, just really kept settling on my heart, especially since I was going to come up here and talk about world relief. I feel like that's been an opportunity over the last several years, 10, 12 years, um, to love the people that our church got to be part of that. Um, we got, them, we got to help them get settled into their home. We got to help them learn how to drive. Um, I remember we had to teach them how to use a vacuum cleaner. Like some of the things that we just take for granted. And we got to come alongside these people and just love them with the love of Jesus um, in really tangible ways. Um, and then it's developed into more than just us getting to come alongside them, right? We celebrate with them. They just had a baby this past year and we were at the hospital celebrating the birth of their son, Darren. I'm getting emotional because it's so cool that we are just part of their life. You know, we get to be part of their life because of our connection with World Relief. And um, they had some time in the hospital with COVID-related stuff, and we got to help them through that and support them through that. It's just been a really amazing relationship we've been able to develop. Um, and then the Friendship Center, you know, a few years ago we started with the Friendship Center. Um, and... We got to be involved with the WEAVE program, so teaching refugee women how to sew. Um, and we've donated sewing machines, and we had people who went and mentored these women. And just, again, like this amazing opportunity to step into their lives and just love them in really tangible ways. Uh, and then with the Friendship Center, we also got to help them study for citizenship. So some of this was not refugees who had just arrived, but these are refugees who'd been here for five years, and now they qualify for citizenship. And they have a, a test they have to pass to become citizens. And so we get to help them study for that. And um, we can help them work on their English language. Some of, us, some of them were even teaching us other languages. So I was learning a little bit of Arabic as there was this back and forth, like, you teach me, I'll teach you kind of thing. Um, we had a couple of them come to friend, Friendsgiving. Some of you might remember that. That was a few years ago. And this Muslim family walked in, and they brought the most amazing lamb and rice meal, 
And they just joined us. They just sat at tables with us, and we talked, and we laughed, and we just did life together. Um, and I just feel so blessed that our partnership with World Relief allows us to step into the lives of people and just love them right where they're at, exactly the way Jesus would love them, no strings attached, just because they are valuable. So I'm just, um, I wanted to share a few of those. We've been able to donate furniture. Some of you brought beds and couches, and I just wanted to take a minute and remind you of these amazing opportunities we've had. And for some of you who are new, let you know that this is something that we do. We come alongside refugees as we partner with World Relief, and we meet them where they're at, and we just want to love on them the way Jesus loves them. Um, there will be a new opportunity connected with World Relief next week. Connie's going to bring to us, so I'm going to leave you in suspense. Good morning, First Church. Hey, about 10 years ago, maybe 11 or 12, I'm not even sure, um, we had Mark Cadle come. He was the director of World Relief's location at that point. He shared in our, in so, our uh, church uh, service. About what I'm going to have to do now, uh, it was a you can just hit the mute on the them. computer, yeah, on the soundboard. To buy t-shirts. Yep, then you can watch James talk, but you won't have to listen. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> so at this point, um, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a highlight how we've been connected with World Relief and let you know that something new is coming next week. Be excited about it. Be, be looking for it. And then I want to invite Mark up, and uh, we're so excited to hear God's word from you this morning. Um, it's really a privilege for me to be here with you. I was here a couple of years ago, uh, but it's great to be back. I wanted to say how much I appreciate um, all the churches and all of our partners in Spokane, and especially First Church. Um, I became the director of the World Relief Office here in Spokane about five years ago, and um, we were in a period of transition at that time. And we had um, largely been reliant on federal funding for most of the work that we did, but we were entering into a season where we knew the government's position on our work was changing, and that funding was going down, and it was going down quick. And so when I stepped in as a leader, I said, I think that our future depends on local churches in Spokane and other members of our community. If the community wants refugees here, if they want world belief here, then we're going to have to see our local community support this, not just funding from elsewhere. At that time, we had three churches in Spokane that were giving us, uh, giving to World Relief financially. One was given 50 bucks a month, one was given $100 a month, and one was given $200 a month. You can't run much of a nonprofit on $350 a month. Um, now we have 30 churches who are giving financially, and that is a huge help and a lot of individual donors. Uh, but that church that was given $200 a month is this church. You guys were our largest giver when we needed uh, partners. And so I think when I come back here, I think of Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he says, um, when I engaged in ministry, it was you alone that partnered with me, that put me here, that sent me to other parts of the world. So I want to say, I know you're not the biggest church in town, um, but I want to thank you for your faithfulness, because part of the reason that I'm still here doing this work is because of your support and your example that's inspired a lot of other churches to do the same kinds of work. So thank you. It's an honor to be here. Um, for those who don't know, World Relief is a very lofty name, and we're in a lot of places. So World Relief is in about 15 or 20 different countries around the world, mostly doing relief and development work. 
you know, whenever there's a hurricane or an earthquake, uh, clean water projects, small loans, helping people learn about agriculture that's sustainable. We do all of that kind of stuff in Africa and Cambodia and all kinds of places. We also work in the U.S. and our 16 or 17 offices around the country mostly do refugee resettlement. That means when the government approves a, a family who's a refugee overseas to be able to come here and start a new life, the government calls up one of these offices and says something like, well, mostly it's an email, something like, hey, here's this family of six, and they've been living in a Congolese refugee camp for 18 years. And um, we've granted them a visa to come to the U.S. as refugees. So for the next 90 days, World Belief Spokane, we're going to invite you to help them get started. So they're going to need a, a house to live in. They're going to need furniture for that house. They're going to need a social security card so that they can get a job. So somebody's going to have to take them to the social security office. They may need to learn English. So you're going to help them connect to an ESL program in town. And their kids are going to need to connect with whatever neighborhood schools they ended up, uh, end up living close to. So you're going to work with the school district to help get their kids in school. There's a list of other things too, things like vaccinations and medical appointments and a lot of other stuff. But in a nutshell, we help people go from surviving to thriving in our communities. That's our goal and that's our mission. And as a faith-based organization, organization, our motivation is to do it because we're followers of Jesus. We want to do what Jesus did and, and follow his lead and honor him. And, and a big part of that for us is pulling in the rest of the church. There's about 40 staff at World Belief, and we serve about 2,000 refugees or other kinds of immigrants every year through lots of services and things that I can tell you more about after our time together. Uh, but the secret sauce of World Belief is that we don't just have 40 staff members who do all the work. We have about 400 volunteers. And that, that is why people like Amani and Claire, yes, they can come to World Belief if they need help you know, filling out a job application or getting uh, changed to their legal status, becoming U.S. citizens. We can help with the technical stuff. But we can't be the friends that they need to help them learn how to navigate the community. We can't teach them how to drive. We can't teach them the difference between going to the grocery store where you can't haggle about the price of tomatoes and going to the car lot where you better haggle about the price of your used car. Um, they need friends for that. They need a community for that. And that's what we exist to do is to put you on the front lines and let you be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, and you are doing a great job of that. So it's an honor to be here. So that's my world belief plug. And I'd love to share more about that with people who want to talk more afterwards. Christy probably would be even better at that because uh, she and a few others from your church have been really deeply involved with us and can tell you specifically what are the best ways to get plugged in and connected. Um, some of that will come in to the message today, but, um, but I'm also a preacher. Um, I was trained in seminary to be a pastor long before I ever knew anything about refugees. So when I get a chance to preach, I always ask, okay, what are you guys, what's going on in the church? And, and James said, well, we're doing these different things and, and we're going to start a two week series on worship. So you can either preach about something related to worship, world belief, or if you want to preach about worship, you can. And I said, I'll, I'll take Worship for 200, please, Alex. And, um, and I think it really ties in in some beautiful ways. So if you've got a Bible, open it up with me. We're going to be in Micah chapter 6. And um, I think worship is an interesting thing because it's not a common thing we talk about in our society, right? Like, what is worship? Is worship the songs that we sing to warm us up for the sermon on Sunday? 
Is worship whatever they choose to put on Shine 104.9? Is worship something that we do for an hour or two on a Sunday morning and then the rest of the week we sort of try to live off of the remnants of whatever that feast of being in God's presence was? I think worship is so much more than that. And, and scripture displays a wider understanding of worship. Music does help us tune our hearts into God's presence. But worship is so much more than a warm, fuzzy feeling I may get or may not get um, by singing Amazing Grace or God of Wonders. So let's, let's reflect today for a few minutes on what God tells us that God wants worship to be. I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. So Micah 6, verses 6 through 8, say this. The prophet says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O human, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. A while back, there was a PBS documentary about worship. And I thought it was interesting, so I started watching some of them. And, and one of the episodes was this piece about a particular Shinto shrine in Japan. Where part of their ritual worship is that once a year, the, the deity travels this stone staircase from one area to another. I think there's a temple on one side and like a waterfall somewhere else. Um, but in order for the deity to be able to travel that walkway, it has to be sufficiently purified. So the worshipers train for weeks and weeks with these huge um, flaming torches. It's like a giant bundle of reeds that they light on fire, and then they have a stick coming out the bottom that they carry. And they, they're, they're really heavy. They're like 70 or 80 pounds. And so uh, the documentary was showing how these people would train, and then on the day of the, um, of the specific ceremony, there would be a dozen or so of these guys carrying these huge wooden torches. And they'd have to climb up and down the stone staircases and tell the priest determined that it was sufficiently cleansed for the deity to pass by. They would train and they would prepare mentally and spiritually and emotionally for the difficulty of this task. And as they participate in the ceremony, their bodies drip with sweat from the physical labor of it and from the heat of these flaming torches that they're carrying. Now, it's one thing to casually drop by the shrine once in a while to fire off a quick prayer. But it's another thing to devote one's body and one's time, to make a sacrifice. And there's something that I think most of us instinctually feel, regardless of which religious system we've been brought in, that, that sacrifice shows a deeper level of devotion. If our sacrifice to God is legitimate, then we, should, then we sense there should be some evidence that proves how serious we are in our worship. That blood and sweat and tears really mean it when we say that we worship the triune creator God of the Bible. And that's what Micah's instinct is at first. When he says, what does the Lord require? With what shall I come before the Lord? Should I bring some kind of sacrifice? 
we know that the Hebrew scriptures are full of sacrifices, right? Sacrifices that, that cost people dearly, animals and money and time. So when Micah says yes, yes to sacrifice, there's a piece of truth in that. Yes, it includes our affection and our attention. Yes, God wants us to hold our wallets and our calendars and our decisions with open hands because God might choose to direct us to make a withdrawal or to interrupt our schedule or to take a life-changing decision in a surprising direction. Worship, worship includes this wholehearted devotion and a willingness to sacrifice. But worship is more than sacrifice. It's not simply how much you're willing to pay. It's not measured in gallons of oil or tens or hundreds or thousands or millions of dollars. It's an understanding of what God really wants from us, not just what we want to offer to God. Worship can become what I want it to be, right? Um, it's very easy to choose, like, the style of music that God wants is obviously my favorite style of music to sing or play, right? Uh, just, just coincidentally works out that way. You know, the worship that, that, uh, that God wants happens to be led by the person or the preacher or whoever who, who I just resonate with the most. It's just so convenient the way that whatever I want happens to be exactly what I think God most wants from me. Uh, I lived in Thailand for a while with my wife. And one of the things uh, that's really interesting about Thai culture that's very different from American culture is that in most places whether it's a business or somebody's home, there's these little houses, these little, most of them are about two feet square and they're often elevated. And there's these little, they call them spirit houses. And there'll be little candles and they're kind of ornately decorated and sometimes there'll be a little Buddha inside. Most Thai people are Buddhists, but they also believe in a, a broad range of spirits. And they believe that every location has uh, some spirits that dwell there. And so they build these little spirit houses to honor those spirits and to make sure they don't do anything wrong that the spirits aren't going to like. Because if the spirits don't like it, it could wreck your business or it could bring bad luck or bad health or other things. So they, they create these little spirit houses and then they give sacrifices to the spirits. They give them stuff to say, hey, we're going to worship you. We're going to honor you. We're going to make sure that you have what you need to be happy so that you stay off of our backs. Um, and it just so happens that apparently the spirits like the same things that most of us do. Um, I saw a lot of spirit houses that had nice fruit in it, like oranges or you know, freshly sliced pineapple or lychees were really common. And the thing that was really interesting to me is um, often there, you know, you need something to, to wash it down with. And so often there was a beverage included in the spirit house with, along with the fruit. And for whatever reason, um, Fanta, which is a kind of soda pop, was like really, really common. And I still, I could never figure this out, but it was almost always strawberry flavored. Like they have orange and other flavors, but like strawberry Fanta was the beverage of choice in the spirit houses. And I just thought, you know what? Strawberry Fanta is actually my favorite flavor too. <laughs> I, think, I think the spirits have good taste in pop. Um, it's really convenient when the things that we offer for worship are the things that we most enjoy ourselves or the things that we most enjoy giving or that are most convenient for us. But is that what God wants? Are we giving God the gifts that we want 
because it feels good for us to offer God songs or other kinds of attention? Or are we really giving God what God wants in worship? In this passage, it says there are three things that God wants. But before we get there, I want to briefly interject one thing that God definitely does not want. And it's child sacrifice. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? An acquaintance of mine recently shared uh, how he used to earn elite status on his preferred airlines because he, he could get a million miles in a year. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever gotten a million miles. I've never gotten a million miles. But million mile people like get to sit in first class and they get to go in the little airport lounges and stuff like that. They get to do cool stuff. And he was pretty proud of being that million mile club. He's a pastor and he is a, a sought after speaker. So he did a lot of flying around the country and even other parts of the world speaking to big audiences, but when COVID hit, he was grounded. All of that million mile club just went away because there's nowhere to fly, no first class seats to sit in. And suddenly he found himself spending a lot more time with his kids than he used to. He said that might have been one of the best things that ever happened to him in his life. Some of us have kids or spouses or other loved ones who get the short end of the stick because of how hard we work at our jobs or in ministry or elsewhere. And even if you're working or volunteering for a great cause, something worthy and important, don't sacrifice your children. Don't sacrifice your marriage. God doesn't want sacrifices of your family any more than he wants 10,000 rivers of oil. What does God require in our worship? What does the Lord desire from us? Three things. One, to do justly, to do justly, or to act justly, depending on your translation, to do justice. What is justice? Sometimes we, we you know, especially if you watch a lot of court, courtroom TV dramas, like Law and Order or whatever, you may be your favorite. Justice is like what happens in the courtroom. It's like making sure that the sneaky person who committed fraud or murdered somebody finally stands before the jury and is accused and convicted. That's justice. But justice is a lot more than that. Justice is where everyone gets a shot. Biblically, justice is about a whole society-wide playing field that is level. It's not simply punishment for a crime, but rather a state of being where right prevails in every situation and for every person. Justice is like, it's like the opposite of corruption. Um, some people tilt systems so they get benefits from it at the expense of others, but justice is wholeness and fairness everywhere for everyone. Scripture tells us over and over that God loves justice. God loves justice. God loves when people treat each other with dignity and don't try to take advantage of each other. And God loves it. He considers it worship when we do justice. Yes, that might mean marching in some sort of protest or parade for a civil right of some kind, or maybe you feel convicted that justice means that you speak out on your social media platforms against issues of injustice. Sure. But probably more relevant for most of us are the simple, small ways that we live our lives. Do we notice when someone is a little disadvantaged and help them out? I see God, one of the things I love about my job is that I get to see God doing justice all over the place in a hundred small ways every week. Uh, and that includes here at First Church. 
a lot of the list of the things that Christy told you about are acts of justice meant to take a, a world that's tipped off kilter and sort of prop it back up closer to level. One of the things that I love is, um, is seeing the donations come in from people. So especially as we've had a lot of attention in the media lately with this crisis in Afghanistan, and, and we serve a lot of the Afghan folks who are coming to Spokane, the donations have flooded in. And every single day I go into my office the last few weeks, there's a new pile of stuff somewhere in the hallway or next to the front desk or in somebody's office of things that people have donated. You know, here's a box of silverware that somebody went and picked up at Ross. Here's uh, some pots and pans that are used but still in great condition. Here's uh, a, a set of sheets. Here's some towels. Here's some spatulas that people could use in the kitchen. Not long ago, we had a guy um, drop off another stack of cutting boards, and he makes custom cutting boards. He loves woodworking, and he spends his time making inlaid beautiful maple walnut cutting boards so that every refugee gets a new cutting board when they move to town. Those are acts of justice, and I love seeing that. Because every refugee who arrives in America is a victim of injustice. You don't flee your country running for your life if you live in a place where justice is the norm. You don't have to run away and leave behind your home and your car and your bank account and your job and flee for your life if justice already was the case in your life. These are people who are at the very farthest end of experiencing injustice and when they come here, they get to find that somebody has bought them brand new bath towels. They get to experience someone giving them some new pots and pans. They get two brand new car seats for their kids. These are acts of justice. They are remaking a fractured world into a place of wholeness. And these are acts of worship. I'm not sure how much, if you get the same feeling when you drop off a box of new plates at World Belief as you do when you sing a certain song at church, but I'm pretty sure that God feels the same way, maybe even prefers that box of plates because that's an act of making the world right. And when God says, what do I really want? I want you to do justice. Maybe you have incredible amounts of power. Maybe you're a judge and you can issue justice or maybe you're a normal person and, and your daily life is just one small act of justice after another. That's worship. That is what God desires, to do justice. The second thing is to love mercy. Another way, another translation of that same word is, is to love kindness. And I think kindness um, is probably a better word for us to understand. A lot of us wouldn't maybe necessarily think that we do a lot of mercy but we all know what kindness is. And I want to draw a distinction for a second between nice and kind. They seem like synonyms in some ways, but if we look at them a little closer, we can see that it's, God does, does, isn't asking us to just be nice. Be nice to people. Play nice with your friends. God says, love kindness. Nice is, is temporary, right? I can be nice to somebody at the grocery store by, you know, I don't know, letting them walk through the door first or smiling at them. Uh, but it's temporary. It's a smile and a nod. It doesn't last. But kindness has a chance to make a lasting difference. Nice acknowledges the presence of another person, but kindness notices another person. Justice is something that we are told we can all do. You might not feel like it, but darn it, if somebody needs some help, I will go do the thing that they need help with. You know, justice might be helping somebody change a flat tire next to the road. It's inconvenient. 
but they need the help and I'll do it. I can just do it, do justice. But kindness, it's interesting, it doesn't say do justice, do kindness. It says do justice and love kindness. Kindness is something that we can enjoy. We can enjoy being kind. Um, I try not to use myself and my family in a lot of illustrations in my sermons because I do preach every week and my congregation would be really tired of that. Uh, but I'm in a new place, so I'm going to break my rule. Um, my wife is one of those people that I look at and I think, there's somebody who loves kindness. And here's how I see it. She likes to bake stuff. I don't know if anybody here likes to bake stuff. You guys have anybody that bakes things? Uh, a couple of you, you know, are willing to admit to that. Um, after the service, you know, I'll give you a few recipes and, and feel free to, like, you know, send them my way. I can test them and tell you how they are. Because I like to eat stuff. That's how we sort of complement each other. She bakes, I eat. It's a great relationship. Um, she likes to make muffins. She likes to make zucchini bread. She makes scones. She makes cookies. Gratefully, she gives a lot of it away, um, or I would be in trouble. But plates of it go out to the teachers at our kids' school, to her friends. Today, she made muffins and took them to church so that they could sit next to the coffee bar. Um, sometimes they find their way to my coworkers at World Belief. It's kind to get something delicious that somebody spent their time hand-making. That's an act of kindness. It's more than just nice. And she does it because she loves it. She loves doing it. She also likes writing notes. And I think most days my kids end up with like a little handwritten note in their lunchbox. I don't know if anybody ever had that when you were a kid. But that's like a little extra effort. It's a, it's a piece of kindness. Do you think we could do that? Do you think if worship was kindness that we could, could do that? Do you think you could realize that when you do those acts of kindness, that it brings God joy? I mean, we understand that if you bring a tray of cookies to somebody, like, of course, they're going to appreciate it. But, that, but God also is smiling upon that. God is enjoying your kindness. God is enjoying your moments of, of noticing another person and trying to make their life just a little bit better. That's actually what God wants. More than draining your bank account or um, committing your life to foreign missions. I mean, if you're called to do that, by all means, do that. Um, but more than the sacrifices you make, God enjoys a life of kindness and justice. So you're supposed to turn your cell phones off in church. And I appreciate that I don't see anybody texting right now. If you are texting, you're really good at hiding it. Um, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just believe that you're live tweeting. This is so good. You're sharing it with your friends. Um, but I want you to take your phone out right now and do me a favor. Because one other act of kindness is to just tell somebody that you care about them, that you notice them. And this goes for you too, uh, whoever's online or watching from home. Um, get your phone out. I want you to text one person. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. It won't take long. I just want you to text somebody and say, hey, I'm thinking of you today. Or if it's appropriate, say, hey, you're on my heart and I'm praying for you today. Bonus points if you can pick somebody you have not connected with in a long time. Just an act of kindness. Hey, I'm thinking of you today. Hope you're doing okay. Maybe somebody you know has had a rough year. You know, we've all had a rough year. 2021 is not my best year. Probably not yours either. But maybe you know somebody else who's having a really rough time. Just say, hey, I'm at church. I'm just praying for you today. I'm thinking of you today. It's an act of kindness. Give me a minute to finish those up.
all right, what does God want? Like, what is worship anyway? It's doing justice in the small things and the big things if you get a chance. It's loving kindness, like just letting people know that you care about them. It's one other thing, too, that, that Micah tells us, uh, that God says, and walk humbly, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Uh, in, in our church at Emmaus, I, we just started a series through the fall. We're going to preach through the book of Genesis. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we reflected on Genesis chapter 2, where it says God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were friends. They enjoyed a stroll looking at the beautiful surroundings. They walked together, and they walked in humility. They walked humbly. Now, Sometimes people think humility is to be really self-deprecating or, or self-effacing. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm really bad at that. I shouldn't be here. Like, it, like I get to, oh, I'm the director of world belief, but I'm not really that good. I'm a bad leader and I'm a bad person. I'm a bad Christian. I don't deserve to be here today. And I, I don't deserve to tell you. That's still all about me. If I introduce myself to you that way, I'm distracting you from the message because it's all about me. Humility is not putting yourself down. It's simply acknowledging who you are and who you're not. I just happen to, to be a pastor and a leader in town, and that's who I am, and I'm okay with that. I happen to not be an NBA-caliber point guard. Now, I don't know why you guys are laughing. I don't get that. Don't I look like I should be an NBA-caliber point guard? I don't know. Um, it's who I am, and it's who I'm not. I'm Mark Finney, not John Stockton, and I'm okay with that because that's the person God wants me to walk with him, not somebody else, to not pretend that I'm better than I am in my walk with God, nor to shy away and say that I am so unworthy that God would never want to go on a walk with such a lousy person as me. Yes, I am broken, and we all are broken, but in our brokenness, we can still be who we are. In Hebrews, it says that at the very end of his life, the patriarch Jacob Worshipped God while he leaned on his staff. Anybody know why Jacob had to lean on his staff when he worshipped God? Anybody remember that story? Because earlier on in Genesis, many, many, many years earlier, before he was at the end of his life, when he was a young man, he got in a wrestling match where he was injured. And his hip was dislocated. And ever since that point, it's said that Jacob walked with a limp. He walked with a limp, and at the end of his life, his worship was leaning on his staff as he continued to walk with a limp, because that is walking in humility. He walked with God. He limped with God in his humility, in his brokenness, in his pain. He still walked closely with God so that even if he had to lean on his staff, he knew God was right there walking with him. Some of us today are walking with a limp, and... Um, I don't know, maybe sometimes you try to fake it so people don't notice. Or maybe some of us are tempted to over-accentuate it so that folks will open the door for us a little bit more often. Whatever it is, walk humbly. Be who you are in your brokenness because that's what God wants. That is worship. For you to be fully present with God in your walk. Limps and scars and pain and brokenness and everything. Walk humbly with God. In the garden, Adam and Eve decided to hide from God when they realized they were naked. 
And so they avoided their afternoon walk because they realized that they were vulnerable, they were exposed, they were sinful, they were broken. And what did God do? God called out. He went looking for them. He found them. And even when they were eventually banished from the garden, God didn't lock the door and step back inside the garden. God locked the door and stepped outside with them and continued to walk with Adam and Eve and all of their descendants. All the way through history, God has chosen to walk with us in our state of brokenness, to walk humbly with us, and he simply invites us in our brokenness and with our lips to walk humbly alongside of him. That's worship. That is worship. Worship is not what we do today exclusively. This is, includes worship. But worship is what we do every day, all the time. Worship is what you're going to do this afternoon and tomorrow morning. And if you go to work or wherever else you do on Tuesday afternoon, worship. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. I want to conclude this time in prayer, but I'm going to start with just a few moments of silence to reflect on what God might be speaking to us and where he might be leading us with this word. God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you that the price of admission for worship isn't 10,000 rams or 10,000 rivers of oil or $10,000. Because some of us would be priced out of the market. God, thank you that worship is not something that we have to have a great voice and able to do because some of us don't have great voices. And we couldn't worship. Thank you that worship isn't the ability to dance perfectly because there's way too many people in this building like me who are from Scandinavian ancestry and we just can't dance that way. At least I can't. Lord, have mercy. And thank you so much, Jesus, that your desire is the things that we can do, the things we were created for. We can do justice. We can love kindness and we can walk humbly with you. And so, Lord, I pray your encouragement over us today. I pray that you lift our spirits, that you remind us that you are here, you are with us, and that worship is not something we have to dig deep for. It's right there on the surface. That you are not distant and demanding, but you are close and welcoming. And so I pray, Lord, that today and this week and on into the future, that we might be able to enjoy worshiping you, God, in all the little things we do and all the ways that we experience your goodness in the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Will you please stand with us as we close with one more song this morning? <clears throat>